everybody. Welcome to IntelliCast in Season 3, Episode 39. How's it going? Thanks for listening. Joining me today for now is Brian Peterson, producer Brian. Hey, Brian. Hey, how are you? Doing well, thank you. Um, this episode is brought to you by IntelliCast, brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. I think that's two episodes in a row I messed up our sponsor. Yeah. The, brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. And you can reach us at IntelliCast at EMI-RS.com. We love feedback. You can follow us on Twitter, EMI underscore research or IntelliCast1. And you can text us, 513-401-5463. You can also leave us a voicemail. And today's episode, I think people will like it. It is two Jasons and two Bryans. And the Jasons are Jason Silver. He's the Director of Business Development for Gazelle Global. Nice guy, awesome guy. I think you're going to like him. And he he joined the podcast basically right after Hurricane. Is that what it was? Um, yeah, the remnants <laughs> of the hurricane that hit New York. He didn't have power for three days. He, yeah. he, had, he lost power, but he lost his Wi-Fi for like a week. Right. And so Jason Silver from Gazette Global will be joining us. And Jason Enderhees with EMI. He's, a sen- he's our senior VP of business development for EMI, and he's been on a couple recent episodes. He's been on a lot this year. But basically, we're talking about how sales is adjusting to the new kind of climate in, during COVID and talked about sales practices um, that each of them utilize. And what one of the cool things I thought was, you know, we had two salespeople on, but they were very similar, right? They were like yeah. in person. But two good guys, and they're not your traditional salespeople. I make a joke, a really bad joke, and I don't think it went over very well, about the salespeople I hate. These Neither of these two are those type of people. They're more relationship builders and understanding your needs and consultative. But Jason Silver, he is the director of business development and, at Gazelle um, Global. Let's get right into it. Hey, Jason, Jason, how are Jason, you? Jason Silver and Jason I'm Andrews. doing well. Thank you guys for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, excited to have you. Jason Enderhees, I feel like you are now the new co-host. Thank you for joining as well. <laughs> Glad to be back. <laughs> yeah, so I think this is a this is a great topic, and I can't believe this is about our 120th episode or so, maybe more, and I don't think we've ever had like a sales topic, which is crazy. <laughs> We're not, never a direct sales topic, so I'm happy to have Jason on to talk about it, and maybe we start off, Jason, can you tell us Um, a little bit about your background and um, what your current role is. Sure. So I've been in the market research industry for about 25 years. And the reason that I am in the market research industry, which I love very much, um, is because it started with a family business out of our basement back in the mid-1980s. And uh, yeah, my father started a company uh, many years ago. And um, it took me four years of college to decide that I didn't want to go to law school. And I ended up doing market (laughs) market research and working with him for a number of years, um, which was great experience because I was able to learn and understand the, uh, the entire project process from beginning to end. And um, basically I was project director, worked on the, on the supplier side. A few years later, I, I moved over in various roles to the client side uh, in financial services and then back to the traditional market research industry. And my, my background is really both quantitative and qualitative. Um, I have expertise in, expertise in both areas. Um, I would, I'm an experienced moderator. I used to love traveling around the country to do qualitative focus groups and, and IDIs. Um, and a few years ago, I made the transition into sales just based on the relationships I had with some clients. I'd, I'd rather be out uh, talking to people, trying to bring in business and, and grow revenue, grow revenue. And that's where I'm at right now with Gazelle Global. 
Awesome. Um, that's an impressive background. Um, it's very diverse. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that uh, that's probably helpful with your role is that you were a project manager, did qual and quant. You've, you've talked to respondents in person and a lot of, I think, modern salespeople can't say that. So I think that's an impressive background. Well, thank you. And, and I find it to be valuable exactly to your point that you really need to understand the market research industry and the products that you're selling to potential clients and customers um, and be able to talk about the respondents and the methodology and, and how research projects flow from beginning to end and, and the pitfalls that you do encounter along the way. So I do agree with you and I feel that my background is, is valuable in terms of what I'm currently doing today. And, and also I would love maybe a brief description of what Gazelle does. I was going to read it off of like the website, but I'd love to hear from you. Maybe can you describe uh, Gazelle Global? Yeah, what we do is really simple and, and we're a necessary component to the entire market research industry, both on the qual and the quant side. We are a global operations firm. Um, we operate domestically here in the U.S. and, we, and all over the world. We provide uh, data hosting, programming, data processing, qualitative recruiting, uh, open-ended coding, translations in about 30 different languages. Um, just everything operationally that you can think of for a market research project with the exception of the very beginning um, and the report writing and analysis at the end. Awesome. Well... <clears throat> I'd love to talk to you about kind of selling today. Um, and that's why I wanted to have Jason on. For those of you that don't know, but Jason, maybe give your back, Jason Enderhe, sorry. Maybe give your background um, in terms of like, you've been in EMI for a long time. Give our listeners a little bit of your background. I don't think we've ever done that before. So I apologize for that. Yeah, no, I've always been in some sort of business development role. I started as an, an account, well, actually a junior account executive um, in 2009, October, 2009. So coming up on 11 years, and throughout that 11 years, obviously, I've been on the business development side in, in some way, shape, or form, uh, whether it's, you know, an individual account executive or moving into kind of managing a team of, of um, you know, like a quotation team internally here at EMI, and then back into the business development role as well. Uh, now, obviously, transitioning yet again into more of a leadership role on the, on the sales side. So, uh, yeah, always been in business development. But one thing Jason hit on there, um, by the way, two Jasons. I don't know if it gets any better than this on one podcast. <laughs> hey, two Brian's, two Jasons. This ought to be yeah, great. Two Brian, right, two Brian's, two Jasons. No, but one thing that Jason hit on there that I'm super envious of is that experience, right? Like being able to come into especially a business development role with not only a perspective, but multiple perspective you know, perspectives when you're talking about coming from the buyant or the, the supplier side over to the client side, those are very, like, we think we know each other really well. And I feel like we swing and miss a lot because we really don't know each other that well. So that's, that's one piece that I've always, I wish I had that client side experience because I think it would pay dividends in, in, you know, moving into like a, um, you know, business development role. So Jason, I, I love, I love the, I guess kind of the timeline of your your experience yeah i thank you jason i, I appreciate that my, as i mentioned my my experience has been somewhat diverse throughout the years and one of the reasons that i got into a business development role and, and that i enjoyed so much today is a few years ago i was presenting a final report to major league baseball who was one of my clients at the time and i had a great relationship with the client um, as well as their uh, chief marketing officer and, and she pulled me aside after the presentation which which she said was very good and said, you know, you've had, you have the personality to really be in a sales role instead of doing what you're doing because of the way that you deal with people. And I've heard that a couple of times. Um, 
during my different meetings and, and um, experiences with people along the way. Um, and I really, I enjoyed doing, um, I enjoyed doing the project management work. I enjoyed doing the research because it, for me, when I started out, and even, you know, as I got through mid-level of my career, it was about telling a story, right? But it's also about the relationships with the clients. And, and it was really an easy transition for me um, to move into that business development role because what I really enjoy doing today and what I'm looking forward to doing more of when hopefully when this pandemic is over is getting out there and speaking with people again, because that's, that's what really, that's what makes things happen. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's fantastic. I, I love, like I said, I just, I love the story and it seems to come, you know, very naturally at some point, it seems like that's where you're at in your career, which uh, kudos hats off to you. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. And also, by the way, I used to work in sales. And I, you two are both very successful in your sales roles. I don't think I was very good at sales. I, um, I don't know what it is, but so maybe when we get into this a little bit, we'll uncover why I'm not very good at it. But that's kind of why I moved to EMI is that I didn't really have a direct, I have an indirect sales role, but I don't have a, I wanted to get out of direct selling. And so, you know, I'll, whatever I say, don't listen to what I say from here on out. That's really what the listeners should know. Um, so, between the two of you, maybe you start off with you, Jason Silver, is how has selling kind of changed either over the past few years or over the past few months? I'd love to kind of hear your perspective on that. Sure. I, I'll start with over the past few years, I think it's changed just because of the amount of technology that's out there, the different technology platforms that different clients um, are, are using to conduct their research. Um, as a salesperson, you really need to be up on that technology because clients very often will come back to you and say, hey, can you recommend a platform that we can use um, to, to effectively complete this study? So you have to kind of stay on top of that, um, which, is, which has been interesting for me because I'm, I'm a technology person myself on the personal front. So to get up to speed on the business side, um, you know, was fun too. And, and you know, obviously increased, increased my knowledge base in terms of what those technology platforms are. Obviously, with the pandemic uh, that started in March, I had come directly from Quirks, Brooklyn, uh, the first week in March with about 1,200 people. And back then they were taking precautions um, to keep people safe. And the city, New York City, basically had shut down the following week. Um, and that was really kind of when the sales perspective shifted significantly because my role, as I mentioned before, is really face-to-face. -face. It's getting out there and meeting with people. Um, even on the phone is significant, but not as significant enough in terms of establishing a relationship or rapport with someone. And the way that, that uh, it's changed for me in normal times is I might have met with someone six months ago. You stay with them and you follow up, you keep them on their radar, you keep the conversation going. And if a project comes along, whether it's six, nine, 12 months down the road, that prospect will remember you. Um, and they'll remember you even more if you had met them face to face, whether at a conference, you had coffee with them, met with them separately or, or whatever the case may have been. So that's really put a damper on, on the sales, um, on the sales side for me. And I guess the first few months of this pandemic, it really took a toll, not on me, but the business in general, Gazelle Global, um, as well as just the market research industry as a whole. Um, things are starting to open up a little bit on that front again. I think there's more, there are more projects coming in. Um, people are starting to adjust to the new normal. I know we've all read articles about that. It, it's all over LinkedIn and social media. Um, but I think people, people have really kind of hunkered down at this point um, as business does start to return to some form of normalcy. Um, so in terms of selling tactics, it's more of a soft sell these days. I am not necessarily a quota driven person. Um, the people that I work with have all been doing this for, as long as myself, if not longer, and they're all professionals, people do know, fortunately for me, 
who Gazelle Global is, and if not, you know, if I have the opportunity to tell them, that's that's the the subject matter of the meetings that I usually hold. Um, but the entire strategy has really shifted, and uh, and I can certainly get into that as as well if you'd like to hear more about that. Yeah, I'd love to hear from Jason Underhees because I feel like I've heard you say a lot of the things he just said. So I'd love to hear your kind of your perspective yeah. as well. Probably some uh, some common denominators here. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the, by the way, I was at Quirks in Brooklyn as well, the last little moments of freedom we had <laughs> uh, prior to shutdown. But yeah, it's, um, I mean, some of the major challenges are pretty, pretty obvious and, and, you know, decreased budgets likely across the board, almost every industry, I guess not everybody's suffering, but most, you know, most are down for a year. Uh, companies are doing everything they can to be, you know, more cost effective or efficient, if you will. Um, in, in using all of the different resources. And unfortunately, as, as Jason alluded to, the market research budget is one of those pieces that, that have witnessed a direct hit and, and will likely continue to do so until you know, we show some additional signs of the economy, economy really moving in the right direction. Um, but that's, it is, it's on, it's, it's on us as sales leaders to get um, a firm understanding as to what our clients' goals and objectives are during these times. Not that we didn't do that previously, but it's a great opportunity to really kind of do some cleaning internally. Um, I've, I've spoken, you know, even internally at EMI about this time, let's, let's get our house in order and, and be ready to hit on, you know, hit the ground running when we do start to move in, in a positive direction. Um, you know, and, 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 and as Jason mentioned as well, along with decreased budgets, travel in general has, has nearly, you know, come to a standstill. That's, that's never, <laughs> never makes anything easy in the business development, you know, developing world, um, you know, each individual is very different with regard to selling. Um, and we all have our own kind of like unique style and approach. And, and I tend to gravitate towards, you know, those in-person meetings when I can read a room and really find out who I'm resonating with. And if I need to kind of course correct with my messaging or anything like that, and that's tough to do on, you know, we're lucky that platforms like Zoom or Teams, you know, they've created an environment where we can create a somewhat similar, you know, face-to-face, you know, to a face-to-face environment. But there's still something about being directly in front of someone that, that leads me to believe that, you know, more trust and rapport can be built in that face-to-face space. Yeah, Jason, I'd love to hear, um, hear what your thoughts are on that and how you mentioned kind of your strategy. Is it a lot of Zoom meetings and where you can kind of read people and it also probably has an advantage of you can get a little bit of personality out of people or you understand their background. Maybe you see like, a dog in the background maybe, or you see family photos, or you see, I saw a sports hat the other day, and I'm a person that I get off topic really easily, and I'm a, I comment on random stuff, big surprise. And um, so in some ways that serves me good, I can build a rapport with people. But in other ways, I think that, you know, sometimes people are there, I have 20 minutes, let's get some business done. So I'd love to hear maybe uh, what your strategy is. Me, Jason, or other Jason? Yeah, you, sorry. Oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> Sure. Uh, Jason, I think you hit the nail on the head, um, what you mentioned about client budgets as well, uh, because I'm seeing that too. The other thing I'm seeing kind of before I get into um, the other Brian's question was that I think projects are still coming in, but on a smaller budget or or definitely a restricted budget, but we're seeing projects postponed until later in the year. So for example, I had a request this morning uh, for a large qualitative recruit and they didn't want to do it until November or December because they plan to do in-person interviews and these are medical, these are medical patients. Um, so there's a lot still up in the air in terms of project timing right now. I think projects are coming in, but they're being deferred. 
uh, to a later time. So that's that's another area that that at least on on my side, um, I've been working through. Um, Brian, to your question, I think you can get a lot out of a Zoom meeting. Um, personally, I prefer a phone call. We we usually reserve Zoom meetings for uh, for internal company meetings. So we have sales and marketing meetings. We have um, we have regular. Um, staff meetings and it's fun because you know we all have a great sense of humor um, I, I tend to use my sense of humor in my selling strategy so if I see a dog in a background or as you mentioned a sports hat I'll talk to the person about what their favorite sports team is or why why are or why not I don't I don't like that particular team just to kind of break the ice a little bit um, I think everyone is still adjusting to zoom so for example the video call right? It's a great, it's a great strategy. I can see your face right now. The reason that you can't see my face is that I'm on, on uh, audio only is because I couldn't find a spot in my house um, to get away from my kids that would have had a decent background. I didn't want to put a spaceship back there or something. So I've seen some pretty funny things along the way. Um, I have had a number of calls with clients and prospects over Zoom. Um, if I know the person, it tends to make it a little bit easier. Um, and, and it's certainly, you know, you can get a lot out of, of reading their facial expressions or seeing what's in the background, whether it's family pictures, you know, if they have children or, or whatnot. Um, most of the time, I'll try to schedule a phone call. So my strategy now has shifted to if a person is willing to engage with me, whether it's over LinkedIn, email, or, or phone, or, or even before a phone call, I will try to schedule an introductory call, whether it's you know as short as 15 minutes or, or maybe 30 minutes, not just to go over what our capabilities are, because I'm not going into a hard sell necessarily. Um, chances are, if the person has agreed to take any form of a meeting with me, uh, they are familiar with Gazelle Global, or they have a need, or they've reached out to me for something prior. Um, but that's usually what I do to, to keep the conversations going and, and just to be very light in terms of the overall approach. Um, I get many, many business development emails throughout the week that try to lock me in. It'll say, Jason, can you talk to us at three o'clock tomorrow? And it, it might be for lead generation, which is something that we don't necessarily pursue, you know, over at Gazelle, we generate leads internally. Um, but in terms of, I guess, selling strategy, it's more, um, I would say it's more phone conversations than Zoom. If the person is local that lives in the tri-state New York area close to me, um, I've asked to have a cup of coffee. There are a lot of um, outdoor places that are open where you can meet at a social distance. I have a couple of, of meetings coming up uh, in that regard as well. So things are starting to open up a little bit more. Um, in the past, I would you know say six months ago in New York City, um, I would meet people you know, for coffee all the time, or we'd, we'd have lunch or dinner with prospective clients and, and prospects. Obviously, you can't do that now. So it's starting to come back a, a little bit more slowly on that front. Um, but in the beginning of, I guess, the, this new normal, it was more just digital outreach. It was a lot of email, um, a lot of uh, empathetic emails to find out how the person was doing, to see where they're located, how they were doing. Um, and it was a lot of social media outreach as well through LinkedIn. Um, and then that's kind of built the foundation for me over the past couple of months to shift my selling strategy going forward in terms of how I'm going to be interacting with people and, and what might be safe and, and what's not. That's awesome. Jason, Enderhees, thoughts on that? Boy, he covered so much there. I don't know <laughs> if I can add any value. <laughs> I talked too fast. I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, that's, that's great though. I mean, I think that strategy is, is across the board, probably what you're seeing, right? There's a lot of people that move to a lot of that um, email kind of generated correspondence as opposed to, you know, the face-to-face, -face, obviously, it's hard, it's, it's hard to replace that. And, and like you mentioned, not everybody wants to be on a Zoom call. Not everybody wants to be on video. 
Um, some people didn't have a haircut for a couple months, right? I remember I was talking to a client in Nashville and she's like, look, I see you're on video. She's like, you're out of your mind if you think I'm jumping on video right now. I haven't had my hair done in you know, 90 days or something. And I said, oh, it's, you know, it's no big deal. It's fine. She's like, no, no, you don't want to see me right now. So uh, on the flip side of that though, it, it, there is a, a level of vulnerability that's nice to see. I think it all puts us on a level playing field. I, for me, anyhow, it, it, it puts me in a very comfortable environment to, you know, to see somebody with a kid running around the background or a dog barking. It really just brings it back down the level. We're all humans. We all get it, you know, get up and put our pants on the same way. Um, or shorts now for, I guess, <laughs> jogging, yeah, joggers, whatever. So it's, it's a little more relaxed, but I've, I've, I have enjoyed seeing that, um, that relaxed side because I feel like I was, you know, in meetings when we go into a, for a face-to-face, everybody's suited up and, you know, got, got dressed to the nines and, you know, looking sharp. And it is nice to see some of the, um, you know, the more human side, even if it's somebody's kids, somebody's baby, somebody dog barking in the back or whatever that it looks like. It's, it's been a little bit refreshing. Awesome. Well, let's move on to the next topic and not prepared for it. So, but Brian, you're going to have some editing to do. Um, so what other adjustments are you guys making in terms of selling? Are there anything else that you didn't mention, like, during this time period? Any adjustments you're making? Jason Silver, we'll start with you. Nothing too much more significant than what I had mentioned to you before. Um, I try to set goals for myself every week. I, you know, I, I'm experienced from working from home. Before this uh, pandemic started, I was going into the office maybe two to three days a week um, and working from home you know, for the balance of that. So for me, it, it wasn't as big of an adjustment. What I did adjust to and, what, and, and how I did shift was I set more goals for myself for the week. And I would say I'd sit down on a, on a Sunday night and, and basically build myself a roadmap um, and say, okay, I want to make this many phone calls a week. I'd like to get this many um, meetings. I'd like to be able to contact this many people. Um, I want to spend X amount of hours on LinkedIn. And I'm just kind of pursuing that same type of strategy because I'm seeing that client, at least my, my clients, not even the prospects, but actually but my, my clients that I've worked with before are coming back. Um, and they are starting to bring projects in. We're starting to get a lot more bids in, um, which is nice to see. Um, but in terms of my strategy, it's really, you know, where I might have called a a current client once a month, I might be following up with them every two weeks just to make sure that we're still in, in front of them and on their radar. Uh, with prospects, I'm trying to be not aggressive is the wrong word, um, maybe more persistent. And I think, um, you know, not too much of a follow-up, maybe once a month, depending on the prospect. If I know that a particular person has a need for our services um, and their awareness level might be low, but they know who I am in the industry, sometimes they appreciate that outreach. So it's a, it's a very targeted outreach. Um, I like, like I said, I like to have that plan going into the current week in terms of who I want to outreach, who I want to send outreach to, which industries, which companies, um, and, and kind of go from there and see how it plays out. And, and that's, I think what a lot of people are doing right now, um, because there's, there's so much that's still beyond their control. So mm-hmm. to say, let's see how this plays out. That might be enough some days, because if you put the work in ahead of time, it will play out to some degree and you kind of just have to monitor and, and continue to follow up with that strategy. Nothing too yeah. complicated. Right. Jason Andre, is there anything else? I feel like you two are on the same page on a lot. Yeah. I feel like almost like the last question there, it's kind of similar that, you know, just trying to focus, obviously, like I mentioned before, not every single industry and business is, is, you know, suffering greatly right now. There are some that are thriving 
trying to focus maybe efforts there try, and and but as Jason alluded to there, I think amping up the the contacts right the the, the touches if you will I, I it seemed to just happen naturally it wasn't like I, I set out to say, you know what I'm going to talk to you know so and so from XYZ research every other week. It just so happened that people are I think looking for that human inter interaction maybe more so they have than they have been in the past. Maybe there's more time freed up. I don't know what it is, but the touches seem to be definitely increasing. And, you know, just trying to get as ingrained as possible with the clients across the board to learn if there's anything, you know, we can do now during maybe some of this lag and in order to, to position not only us, but them for success when their industry starts to pop and, and rebound, if you will. So also using this time, as I mentioned earlier, just to kind of get things in order internally um, in hopes of, again, just setting ourselves up to hit the ground running the new normal and working on kind of internal processes. We're doing some hiring, obviously some training as well coming up. So those are the big pieces, but the biggest adjustment for me has always has been, and probably will continue to be those, <laughs> the interaction itself, right? The zoom line, like there's nothing, as much as I love being exposed <laughs> to that human side of people, it's hard to maintain a business acumen for a 45 minute meeting when Isla, you know, my five-year-old little girls in the background singing the latest Maroon 5 or Jonas Brothers song. Like it just, you know, I've worked, Jason, I worked from home a couple of days a week as well, but it's never been work from home with my two kids. And that's just a different environment. So, um, you know, that, again, those are, those are the refreshing pieces though, too, that, that human side. And those are the pieces that really do level the playing field and remind us all that there's bigger and more important issues out there and experiences, um, you know, than the business we're probably likely discussing at the moment. So. Yeah, Jason, anything else you want to add or Jason Silver, anything else you want to add or other advice you'd want to like to give others? I feel that Jason and I are on the same page on, on so much of this. Um, Jason, I have three kids at home. Two of them are young. My, my youngest ones are, are six and four. Um, my four-year-old has become my resident IT expert. So he, he, he helps out when he can, when he can. but it, it's definitely a balancing act. And, um, you know, a lot of people wouldn't necessarily be able to, to, accomplish working from home in that manner especially with three kids when everyone's homeschooled and you know you have you have two parents that are both juggling juggling careers and, and kids in school so you kind of just have to push through it and take it with a grain of salt and understand as you said Jason that that there's a human aspect to it um, and I think that if anything positive has come out of this it is the human aspect um, because people don't want to get on, on video if they haven't had their hair done in 90 days or if you haven't shaved or, or whatever the case may be. And I, and I think there's a, an increased level of understanding with regards to that. Um, and I think people are probably a little bit apt more to listen when you do get through to them. Um, I think people are happy to speak with, with people on the phone, whether it's a sales call or, or whatnot. Um, we keep our, our internal staff meetings light there's usually a topic sometimes we do trivia we ha we've had a day where you bring your pets and we've had a day when you bring your kids so we we save the business um discussions for for other internal meetings but we look forward to at least gathering with our internal team on zoom whenever we can to you know to kind of cover the personal side or the human side and i think that helps translate over to the client side as well when you're reaching out to people um you know outside the company no i think that's awesome like you mentioned, I think that if we've gained anything the past few months, it's a lot of empathy for people. We're all going through a tough time right now, and we're probably not aware of all the struggles all of us are having, right? But then you get on a Zoom call with somebody, and you see it with every single person. There's a kid, there's noise, there's spouse walking by, they're sitting in a kitchen. Um, there's a million things going on in everybody's life, and I think that in some ways it 
gave me more confidence. And when I'm having a bad day, and again, I'm just, I mean, misery loves company, I guess, maybe. But everybody's kind of powering through this as best we can, and we're all kind of in this together. Um, and one thing I love about marketing research is, even though we compete against each other, we're kind of one big family. And um, we, I, I don't know, I've always felt that way, that our industry has really had each other's back. And so I think that in some ways, this has brought us a lot closer together. Um, and there's my little positive rant for the day. No response. Everybody disagrees with me. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I think you're right. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's move on. And um, we did, a, we, uh, by the way, that was very positive. That was awesome. You two talking about it. I don't think either of you two are the traditional salespeople. Jason Silver, when you mentioned you're kind of a, you're, you consider yourself to be like in soft sales. Jason Underhees, I feel like you're the same way. Before the podcast today, I wrote down a few things. Um, these are the top, my f favorite things that salespeople do. Favorite things salespeople do. Not that you two would ever do these things, but I'm on a list of you and I love your reaction to them. All right, here we go. Number one, probably my favorite thing that salespeople do. I love it when someone I've never met before, I don't know who they are. They message me or add me on LinkedIn and then have a lengthy message about how they can solve all my problems. Sometimes problems I don't even have or not even in the same industry that I'm in. And they clearly haven't read my profile or, or my LinkedIn background. I, that's honestly my favorite thing that people do. There's my number one. I have like 18. I'm not going to go through all 18. Number two, similar to that, the random cell phone calls from people that I don't know, asking if I have a couple of minutes. And then they, when I say no, which is inevitable, then they try to immediately put something on a calendar. Like some guy I've never met before is like, okay, how about Tuesday at 10? I'm like, nope, that's not gonna work. I love when that happens. Um, I haven't had this one in a while, but I really I really love it when it happens. The pre-sales vetting call. Have you all ever had these? It's like someone calls me and, and like, it's like I'm filling out a form online and like I'm getting vetted for some other, like the real salesperson, I guess is the closer, who they don't really ask me my needs or challenges. They just ask me kinds of questions to profile me or whatever. And I, I can hear them entering Salesforce, I think. <laughs> That's my number three. I've only got a couple more. Um, let's say, um, oh, I love it when I say I'm not interested and they have like planned things. Like you, you have canned responses to when I say certain things. Like clearly you've heard this before and boom, you're ready for like a thing to say. And then um, I guess that's all. That's all I'll say. I had like 18, but um, neither of you two, these are more generic salespeople. The, the kind of the used car salesman of research, neither of you two obviously are doing that. I'm just kind of making a joke. Um, any thoughts on that, Jason? You get sold too. Both of you, Jason and I'll start with you. Uh, yeah, so... I mean, these are all great, right? These are all things that I'm sure Jason and I both practice on a daily basis. <laughs> right. We're, we're trying to automate as much of this process and take our personalities out because we're yes. not good. <laughs> Clearly. No, it's, I, I just, I couldn't, I don't know. I can't, I just can't function that way. It's not me. I, I, I love personality in general. And I, yeah. I've, if I don't have that interaction, you're probably not going to get the best version of me. Really? Yeah. Um, it's, it's the same thing with selling. I can't believe, I, I can't sell something I don't believe in. And yeah. I, I sell through, yeah, definitely using humor, very similar to what Jason Silver brought up earlier. Uh, I, I tend to, you know, 
joke and even make fun of myself. You know, it's kind of like the uh, make fun of yourself so nobody else can do it, <laughs> you know, before anybody else can do it. But um, I, I just felt like that lightens the room. But I also, I sell with passion. And if, you know, not only does, do I have to have the passion behind the product or the service that I'm backing up, um, but I also have to be able to see if that's resonating with the, the audience. And, you know, I, I love the drip campaigns. I love the automated kind of email. I know Brian Peterson is probably sweating right now. All of us <laughs> have a time and place. And I get the, you know, somebody sending a calendar invite or a pre-sales betting call, you know, kind of setting up appointments, if you will. I, I, I get the thought process behind it, but there's nothing, you know, there's nothing more. I, it's hard for people to come across as genuine in that type of an environment. Um, but there, there are, I mean, obviously it's proven that some of those, some of those tactics work. I just tend to maybe lean on a little bit more of the traditional and kind of old school, yeah. you know, let's chat for five minutes. And if, if it doesn't work, that's great. Hey, enjoy your coffee and we'll move on. But uh, maybe, maybe six months from now it'll work again. You know, we'll try it again. Yeah. Jason Silver, any, any, anything else to add? Yeah, that's exactly right, Jason. I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. I, I think we sell in a very similar type of way. Um, Brian, regarding your first point on LinkedIn. So I think social media is extremely valuable, both on the personal and the business side. And, and, yep. and I'm on social media. Um, from a personal perspective, I'm not on it you know, every day and I don't post every five minutes like a lot of people do. It just, that just bothers me. I don't need everybody knowing, knowing what's going on in my life every second of the day. Um, but that also, the reason I bring that up, that translates to LinkedIn too. And LinkedIn is a very good selling tool, but first and foremost, LinkedIn is a better research tool. And yes. I, I, I typically have a rule where I won't connect with someone. If, if I'm the one sending the outreach connection, I will typically only do that if number one, I've spoken to the person before, or if we share mutual industry connections. So I know that if I see somebody with 55 shared connections and they're connected with half my company, that's probably, they're probably going to want to connect with me. Um, but never, ever do I send a solicitation email like the one that you described, because I just got three of those this morning. <laughs> right. I, I, they, really, they really bother me because, yeah. to your point, they, they don't know what my, what my business needs are. Um, right. And I'm not going to set up a call unless it's really relevant. Right. Um, I, and, you know, usually when I do my outreach, if somebody does get back to me, if they have a question about a correspondence that we've had in the past, or an industry connection, or, hey, I see we went to the same college, you know, where did you live? I usually am a little bit more personal in terms of those responses, but I don't like saying, hey, can I get on your calendar at 10 o'clock tomorrow because I want to give you a slide presentation if I don't really know what you need. Right. Um, so so that, that's the one, that's one of my biggest pet peeves also. I will use LinkedIn more, as I mentioned, as a research tool to, yes. see, what company they, to see what company they work for and to see who, who else they might be connected to, you know, that I can speak to. So I'm very careful about that. I yeah. think, and this is, this is not a knock against millennials or, or any other generation. So I'm, I'm Gen X. So I don't consider myself old. I would consider myself seasoned. I've been, I've been around the industry <laughs> for a while. Um, yeah. So may, maybe my approach is a little bit different than, you know, um, like a 23-year-old salesperson who's, you know, only um, thing that's right in front of them is, is the quota for the week. I've got to get 25 calls and I've got, to, I've got to talk to this many people. I've got to do this and I've got to do that. It's not like that the way that, that, I, that I work. And Jason, I, I probably tend to think you'd agree with me on that front as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what, Jason, you bring up a good point. Like you're seasoned, right? Like your, your strategy, if you would have started in sales as that 23 year old kid, and I don't know your age, but as that, you know, that kid with no experience coming right out of college, your strategy then would, 
it would have been a lot different, right? You would have been one on the phone making 40 calls a day and just trying to hit a number. Whereas now you've got all this experience to lean on and you can really pick and choose almost the types of clients that you want to work with. And that's, you know, that's a, a fantastic place to be on the, you know, from a business development perspective. It, it does help. And, and the, uh, the calls that I like to make or, or the outreach that I'm conducting is definitely more targeted. It's not a numbers based game. I'm not the kind of person that, that will sit there and enter something into Salesforce as I'm speaking with you, or, you know, that there's a, there's a time that that's budgeted for that. Um, people that I've spoken with will use Salesforce to basically run their entire sales operations. And we use it a little bit differently. I use it as more of a contact management tool and, and to see, you know, the, the chain of communication that I've had with, with people or who I might need to reach out to this week and, or, or next week. So it is different. Um, but like I said, you know, it, it's all for naught unless business picks up and, and budgets start coming back. Um, and I know you're seeing that too. Um, and being that we are, you know, approaching the middle of August, which is typically a very slow time in the industry, um, we seem to think that the the fourth quarter is going to pick up. And we were at, um, actually, you can scratch that. But yeah, I mean, we, we, we think that we're going to have a busy fourth quarter after, you know, typically slow summer compounded by everything else that we're going through right now. And I think the sales strategy needs to reflect that. We're on the same page. Fingers crossed and we're all moving in the right direction. Q4 is going to be banner, banner Q4. <laughs> I, I hope so. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give you a couple more of my favorite things that salespeople do. I love, speaking of Quarks Brooklyn, I go to some conferences a year. And one of my favorite things is when a salesperson tries to schedule meetings like during the conference and like, especially like during the keynote or something, because I usually go to try to see the content and some people just don't understand um, that, that and then the next for the cliches, you know, win-win, it is what it is, get the ball rolling, ducks in a row, game changer, pay for par for the course, it's on my radar at the end of the day, run the numbers, hit the ground running. Those are some of my favorite things that salespeople say. <laughs> All right, let's move on. <laughs> no, you two That's are great. awesome. You two are the type of people that I enjoy getting sold to because you get to know people and you try to understand their needs. And if it's not a fit, you move on, right? You're not trying to constantly close somebody, which I think so many people waste their time doing as someone that has both bought and sold before. All right. And at the very, can I just add to that, Brian, too? At, yeah, the very least, at the very least, if it's not a fit, you've established a relationship because yes. that person that you're trying to sell to, you never know if they might refer you to somebody else or, or a need might arise in the future. So you always try to keep those relationships going. I have plenty of those with people that I've met at conferences where you know, they're, they might not be a good fit for our services and, and vice versa, but I speak to them and I have lunch and dinner with them um, yeah. when I meet with them just, just because of the, the industry connection. So I, I think that's a positive as well. Absolutely. Great point. Um, Jason Silver, we have some four P's questions for you. Um, we haven't done this in a while. I'm kind of excited. Our four P's, we take the normal marketing mix. We switched it up a little bit, trying to get to know Jason on a more uh, human personal level. Not that we haven't in the past 30 minutes, but um, first P is perform. What is something that most people don't know about you? Do you have a hidden talent? Um, are we talking on the business side or on the personal side? Personal side or business side. If you have a hidden talent on the, per on the business side, we'd love to hear that too. Well, if I had a hidden talent on the business side, um, I probably would have unlocked it by now and been using it to my advantage. <laughs> right. So, so, on a, so I guess I'm, you know, I'm just myself on the business side. You know, I, I, um, I'm successful based on my personality and my industry knowledge. And it's really as simple as that. Um, on the personal side, most people don't know that I was or, or used to be a, a pretty decent athlete despite being vertically challenged. So um, I stand a whopping five foot five inches tall. I'm very proud of that. Um, 
And one of the best sports that I used to be able to play was basketball. People would never have guessed it. And once I got on the court and started playing and was able to understand the game, not from, you know, I'm not going to dunk over anybody. I've never really dunked before, but um, I was always a decent athlete with good hand-eye coordination. I think that surprised some people. They didn't realize based on my, my slight frame that I was, that I was talented, was talented um, on the court as I was. So I haven't played in a while and I'm sure I'm much less talented now. Um, but that, that's really it. Uh, other than well, hidden awesome. talents, yeah, no one's really discovered anything else that, that's hidden on, on the personal side. So I guess that, that would be my answer for that one. Well, that, that's great. You, you two have so much in common. Jason Underhees was a, a pretty good golfer. Um, doesn't golf nearly as much as I'm sure he'd like to now, but at one point I know he's a good golfer. Oh, Jason, Actually, I can I can say that um, the, the last note that you hit on there saying it might you might be a little rusty. Basically, I just played for the first time in two years on Saturday, and the rust was in full force. I'll say. Uh, I've actually been, been been one of the things that I've been doing, and this is not a hidden talent because if it was a hidden talent, my my handicap would be much lower. I'm a, I'm an avid golfer also, and I've been practicing. I live across literally across the street from a golf course, and I've been I haven't gotten out to play yet. Uh, but I've been practicing my short game, both indoors and, and on my in my backyard. So um, hopefully that will turn into a talent once it equates to the, the course. There you well, go. <laughs> I've got two golfers on here, and I have to talk about the PGA yesterday, which, by the way, I think Jason Enderhees, I almost texted you during the final because I think you were supposed to be there. Um, yeah. That That is the tournament you were supposed to be at. And what a great – that was an amazing golf tournament with – it was prime time. You had like 10 people within a shot of each other. And I think his name is Colin Morikawa. Is that how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you got to root for that dude, right? I mean, yesterday was just an amazing sports day. Did y'all watch the golf? I did, yes. I, I, I was – part of me was just angry <laughs> because we were supposed to be there. And, I mean, it was yeah. supposed to be held back in May. And, yeah. and we had, um, had, had won some tickets through a uh, – through a benefit Cherry actually for, for yeah, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society where we bid yeah, on it yeah. and in an auction kind of style environment and and just we're really looking forward to it. my wife had never been to San Francisco. You know, everything just seemed to, to kind of line up and I'm like, okay, well, we can knock out San Francisco, wine country, get out, yeah. you know, watch some amazing golf on a beautiful golf course. And instead, you know, don't get me wrong, still got to watch it just from home and yeah. <laughs> still had a glass of wine. But yeah, um yeah. But yeah, it was tremendous golf, and to see it come down, I'm a big fan of of Dustin Johnson, and to see him kind of bounce back and play well, I was I was really pulling for him. But you can't, I mean, you can't write a better story, you know, if somebody outside of your top, you know, top two or three right, golfers right. that you watch are going to win. This is the type of story you want to see unfold. I mean, what a young kid just just not, you know, kind of taking the bull by the horns. That was that was tremendous to see. Yeah, did you watch I watched it also. I did. I, I watched it um, really for the good part of four days. Um, and I thought yesterday's yesterday was great, especially the back nine. Um, as you mentioned, to have that many players within one or two shots of each other, and especially in a major championship where it could turn on a dime. Um, and to see the younger guys play so well. I'm, I'm a big fan of Mark Howe. And I also like Dustin Johnson, too. Um, I also root for Daniel Berger, who is I think he's a third or fourth cousin of mine and he's won a couple of tournaments so um but i still like to see the older guys i you know i'll still tune in to see tiger woods play um i'm lefty i, I play left-handed so phil nicholson has always been one of my favorites um you know i'd love to be able to to hit creative shots like that so just to watch these guys um 
you know, and the distances that they're hitting also Bryson DeChambeau and the way that he <laughs> plays the game and the way that he's, I don't know if I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Um, but you know, these guys are just right. hitting the, you know, 340 yards off the tee. It's, it's crazy, yeah. but it was great golf to watch yesterday. It really and was. But Colin is not a big guy. I don't think. And his shot on 16, which will go down in history, is one of the best probably drives ever in a major. That was a great shot. He hit the green on a par four within about, I don't know, 10 feet of the hole. And I think just about anybody can now drive at about 320 yards if they need to, which is kind of crazy to me, right? Definitely, cool. definitely changed the game. Like, yeah. when, when I heard Tiger Woods saying that the course played long, I couldn't imagine how long he was talking right. about. Because, right. like, I mean, if I beat the heck out of a drive, right, if I really step on one, we're maybe getting three, 310. These guys are – I mean, that's a bad – I mean, that, that's coming up short for them. <laughs> so right. it's completely different, you know, the, the level that they're playing at. But I, I, I'm in awe of it for sure. Well, yeah, it wasn't very good. No, go ahead, Jason. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Andrew. I was going to say it's, it's great to see I'm, – I'm a big sports fan in general, and it's great to see golf come back, as, even if it's without the fans, because it, it gives you something to watch. And, and my wife – this drives my wife crazy, but I can sit. If I have nothing to do, I can watch golf all day. I just find it very relaxing. And to watch yeah. these guys hit, you know, shot after shot, I, I can – you know, it's great. Um, but it was fun to watch yesterday. Well, it wouldn't have been a good sales conversation if it didn't talk golf. Next P is pandemic. Jason, I'd love to hear if there's anything fun or quirk you've done during the, during the quarantine. I'm going to give you one of my own. Um, I've talked about it many episodes over the past few months. The, yesterday, by the way, or Saturday was the Ocho. So August 8th was the Ocho. And I don't know if you all sat around and watched that, but that's what really started me in the quarantine. I was, I'm a big avid sports fan as well, and I was just lacking sports. I got addicted to marble racing. I'm still addicted to marble racing. And on Saturday afternoon, they had a bagging groceries championship on and it actually took place in northern ohio and it was unbelievable to watch like this whole tournament of baggers who could bag groceries the most i would be so addicted to that if this was on like once a week um it should replace the wheel of fortune as far as i'm concerned uh, but enough about me jason i gave you some time to think about it is there anything weird that you've done during the quarantine similar to something like that or, or anything? I haven't done anything weird. I think I've <laughs> probably done more things that are typical of yeah. what everyone else has been going through. So a lot of binge watching. Um, I watched Ozark, which I knew nothing about before I started. And that, ter- that ended up b- being a great show. Um, I've watched Billions. Um, enjoyed that as well. Being in the financial services industry at one time, but although the behavior of those characters is not at all surprising if anyone has seen it. And I've just done a lot of reading, reading and listening to music. So um, I'm a big Stephen King fan. And I've read, uh, I've read a number of his books that I, for some reason over the years, didn't catch up on lengthy ones like It and, and um, a couple of other ones. Um, and for those of you who don't know, I am also a huge Grateful Dead fan. And being that uh, yesterday marked the 25th anniversary of Jerry Garcia's passing, I've actually spent, I just enjoy the music in the background, even when I'm working or whatever I'm doing. So if, for those of you who are unfamiliar with them, they had over 2000 live shows and everyone is completely different. So I've been spending a lot of time going through some of the archives and and listening to that as well as just a lot of other music and just some normal stuff. Um, I've been, you know, my spending a lot of time with my wife and three kids. We've been trying to, um, do as many activities with them during this quarantine as, as possible in, in the safest way we can. Um, fortunately for me living on Long Island, I'm not far from the beach. Um, so the kids really enjoy going to the ocean and just as, as many out, outdoor activities. Um, and that, that's really it. I, I, I'm, okay. you know, 
nothing too out of the ordinary. Pretty, pretty normal stuff. Oh, that's awesome. And by the way, I feel like you two can be best friends. Um, <laughs> Jason Ender, he's, um, he's an avid music listener as well. Um, and you, have you done anything weird during the quarantine? What would it be? I'm trying to think of something weird that maybe we've done. I, I, yeah. Honestly, a lot of it was just getting back to kind of the basics. We did a lot of hiking. Yeah. Um, as, as you mentioned, Brian, you know, one of my big passions or two of my big passions are live sports and live music events. And um, obviously we've had neither of those sort of yeah. <laughs> until recently. So it's uh, nothing, too, nothing too crazy. Really got back to basics, spent a lot of time with the kids and, and, and you know, the, our family in general. A lot of, like I said, a lot of hiking, a lot of outdoor, outdoor activities. Um, need, should have been brushing up on my short game. That definitely showed that I wasn't doing that on Saturday, but, um, but that's it. Now that just a lot of family time. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, next P is podium. Do either of you have a top three of something? I'm gonna start with Jason Silver. Do you have a top three of something you'd like to talk about? Um, you're probably gonna have to come back to me on that one. Okay, well, let's skip it. Let's, we've, we've talked way too much about golf and selling and stuff like that. Let's skip it. And here's a bonus question. And this, if you have a podcast listen, I'm, hope, I'm rooting here. I'm really hoping that Jason Silver has either a Prince story or a Publix story. And since he lives in New York, I bet he does not have a public story, but maybe I'm crossing my fingers. Do you have a story about any of those two topics? I do not, actually. And I was, ah, was going to ask okay. you that. I, my apologies. That's okay. Jason, you're a big Prince fan. Uh, Jason Underhees, have you, or have you ever been to Publix? I've never been to a Publix, believe it or not. As many times as I've, I've had this discussion, it, came, it seems like it comes up on every podcast, but I have, I have not been to a Publix. Prince, that's right. We're, we're doing the North Carolina next month. That's what we're That's doing. right. That's right. The Prince story, um, not really a big story. I mean, I just remember as a child, I had an Aunt Buffy, okay? And she was, she's probably, I don't know, call it 10 years older than me. And she, so she would always kind of be my babysitter, right? She, she was, if mom or whatever, dad were at work, she would come over and watch me. And I just remember routine after routine after routine. It was almost like a punishment. She would yeah. come up with these dance routines to print songs. And I feel like I could probably jump up and do them right now, like 35 years later. Wow. Like I just, they were just pounded into my head between her and her friends and they just decided to treat me as one of them. And I learned the Prince dance routines with her. That's about Dude, as that's an awesome as Prince get. story. <laughs> that's, that's cool. Between that and really loving the Dave Chappelle skits, that's all I got. No, that's, that's an awesome Prince story. Um, we, I don't know what happened when we first started the podcast. We talked about Prince every episode for months. Ever since then, we've had a segment around Prince. And then earlier this year, we were to Publix. And we've probably talked about Publix about 10 times this season as well. And so we always ask it. Usually the reaction is what Jason Silver just had. is like, what are you talking about? Who the heck has a story about a grocery store or Prince? But Jason, I really appreciate you coming on. I think, I think this was um, a topic that will resonate with a lot of people. How can people reach you at Gazelle Global? Very simple. You can email me, J-S-I-L-V-E-R at gazelleglobal.com. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming, and um, Jason Underhees, thanks for joining as well. I think this was a great discussion, and we'll, we'll talk to you later. Yeah, Thank you for guys. having me. Absolutely. Jason, Jason, we'll be new best friends after this. <laughs> I'm, looking for, I'm looking forward to speaking with you. Not, not to sell anything, but just to chat, yeah. to, pick, to pick your brain on a few things. I love Excellent. it. <laughs> I, had a really, I had a really great time, guys. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
Take care, guys. Well, cool. Brian, two Brians, two Jasons for the past 40 minutes. I messed up the, uh, hey, Jason, I wanna, what do you think? I did that about six times. Yep. Messed up some other stuff, too. So thank you for all the editing that you did or will do. And um, I enjoyed listening to them talk. And sometimes when I think about salespeople, and I'm curious what your thoughts are, it's kind of a negative connotation. And I don't know why, because I've worked with salespeople for 20 plus years, and most salespeople aren't the traditional used car salesmen, and most of them are like them, I think, right? Right. I think they, I think we did have a couple of sales guys who are more of your empathetic sellers. And yeah, I, I did find it interesting, one, that this was the first time we've had like a sale, a market research sales conversation where more than three seasons in and two the fact that it seemed like they're both kind of new took the same kind of adjustments i'm wondering if we had brought on a different salesperson if they would said the same thing or if it's just because of the way they sell that they're naturally being able to flip those switches to adjust yeah i found it interesting i thought there'd be more of Oh man, I love getting my prospects and clients on Zoom calls, but it was it was really more of the traditional phone call, kind of a, almost an old school method of getting to know you. Yeah, um, which I thought was was really interesting. But I mean, two nice guys. I would buy something from either of them, and you know, so similar in terms of their just their personalities. They both like golf, both love sports, they both love music, they're both in sales, about the same age. And um, I don't know, pretty cool. They might be they might be lifelong friends now. <laughs> yeah, I saw there were some emails going around back and forth after the episode. <laughs> Took them offline. Well, if you have any feedback on the episode, we'd love to hear it. Um, if you sell differently, if you have a counterpoint, maybe um, you have other advice, uh, we'd love to we'd love to hear you. We can maybe put you on the on the next episode. And um, any feedback, um, topic ideas, guests. Anything that you'd like, please email us at intellicast.emi-rs.com, or you can call or leave us a voicemail or text us at 513-401-5463, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.